Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Riding the Rails recalls a poignant and little-known story of teen hobos during the 1930s, a time of desperation and bitter hardship. These young itinerant Americans were all searching for a better life. What they found was a mixture of freedom, camaraderie, misery, and loneliness. Riding the Rails interweaves an evocative story of 10 men and women who left home in their youth. The film is directed, co-directed actually, by Michael Ace, as well as Lexi Lavelle, and co-produced. There's a number of different credits to their to their names attached to this film, Riding the Rails. It is going to be screening through PBS's American Experience, and you can see it there, as well as it's also going into a virtual theatrical release, as well as the different platforms. You should check this out. It's considered to be an American classic in terms of it was released in 1997. So there's a lot here. And in addition to being kind of a time capsule for the time that it took these people's lives were lived, but also a, sort of a look back into American filmmaking of in that period of time as well. We're joined today by the co-director, co-producer, Michael Ace. Michael, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you, Mike. It's my pleasure. Well, tell me, uh, Michael, how going back and now, God, it's hard to say these things out loud anymore, 22, 23 years ago when it was released. Obviously, you were working on it before that. Tell me a little bit about what inspired the you to to you and Lexi to pursue this as a project? Well, I'll tell, go back to the beginning. Basically, my dad's a writer and he pointed this book out to, to me called, the book is called Boy and Girl Tramps of America. Tramp being a colloquial for, for hobo or, or bum. And um, it was written by a man named Thomas Minahan who was a sociologist in the 1930s. And what he did was he disguised himself as a hobo and hopped freight trains. And he recorded the phenomenon of teenagers hopping freight trains during the Great Depression. This book struck me as, wow, you know, how many of these people are still alive in, in the 90s? Maybe I, I thought maybe I could get hold of, of 12 of them and I might have, have a movie. Um, I ended up writing a letter to the editor of AARP magazine and they published it. I started getting over 100 letters a day coming to my studio. I ultimately got 3,000 letters from people who, who'd ridden the rails as teenagers during the Great Depression. And these weren't just, just letters. They were, this was early email days. So most of them were, were, were handwritten letters. Occasionally I'd get a letter from someone who, if you were lucky, maybe a middle-class kid who left home had a camera. There were a couple of kids who had a brownie box camera. And it was, I got original photographs from people, they popped them in the letters of them hopping a freight train during the 1930s. They were just remarkable. So it's essentially making a documentary is like casting a Hollywood movie. Right. So I now had an enormous casting. I had 3000 people with incredible stories to choose from. So what we did is we went through the letters. We ended up calling 500 people and telephone interviewing them. And out of those 500 people, we ended up filming 20 people and ultimately 10 people ended up in the film. And, you know, with, we, wanted, we wanted to hear from all sorts of people. Men, there's a woman in the film. 
There were, there were girls hopping freight trains, which was incredibly dangerous. Um, and that was our that was our casting process. And you're right, we worked on the film for a long time. That 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 took a year. We when you get it, sometimes people they're really good at um, writing a story, and then when you interview them, you know they don't tell it as well. And sometimes, you know, they write just the barest outline of an intriguing story. Uh, some of these stories, I mean, people got their legs cut off. I mean, it was there were there were some pretty intense stories, um, and. Uh, you know, you, we were intrigued by an outline and then you would hear the person's voice on the phone and they told the story beautifully. And you're like, that person goes in, in, into the cast. So yeah. it really is, there, 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 there's some, some alchemy and they're just wonderful storytelling. It's, 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 a, it's a piece of American history that really, it would, it's impossible to make this film nowadays because um, the people have, have, have passed away. Taking the Westbound is what they say. Well, let's go back because this uh, this period of time when there was this emergence, or a lot of things were coming together, and not the least of which is the American railroad system itself, right? I mean, up until probably the 1920s, the railroad system didn't crisscross the country the way it did in just a few years. I mean, there was an explosion of the, I'm trying to get to, an explosion of the American railroad system, which afforded people this um, remarkable opportunity. And this is another thing, at a time when many people in the country never went more than a few miles from where they were born, right? The whole idea of mobility was kind of a new thing to the American experience. So there's a lot, and then we have the American depression where there was a dearth of jobs. So there was a lot of things kind of coming together in the late twenties and early thirties. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, go, going back to what, what Thomas Minahan, the writer, what he noticed was he observed there were thousands of kids out there. A conservative estimate is 250,000. The other estimates go up as high as 400,000 teenagers moving around the country, hopping freight trains, hitchhiking. They were up to 4 million in total, including all adults. So, you know, they're conservative 250,000 kids. There was a, there was a, and remember, there was a, like you said, there was a freight train in most people's backyards. There was accessibility. It was tempting. There was, there was opportunity. So that, you know, what we heard from when the, these kids, they were, they, they saw freight trains going through their own backyards. They, oftentimes, there were people on those freight trains. There were stories we heard where there were freight trains, one going east, one going west, covered in people. You know, they were, they were, in both cases, they were unable to find the work. That's the other thing. I mean, there was, there was this, this really, we try to debunk the myth because that's what we heard from people that, that yes, there was this promise of opportunity and you, you would find work, working the harvest or following the harvest was, was a big one. You could do it, but ultimately there was competition and it was a fairly miserable thing. I'm thinking, I'm talking to you from a blizzardy snow, snowy New York and it's, I was reminded of stories of kids who were out there doing blizzards. I mean, some of them literally froze. I mean, yeah. they were, they were, they were. Uh, it was, it was, it was dangerous. It was dirty. Yet there was that sense of, of, opportunity and freedom. And you know, we hop freight trains to make the movie. I mean, it, there was, there's an adrenaline rush. I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's something that, it's dangerous and it's illegal and it's, it's kind of fun when you first start. Right. Well, and there's another thing that's part of the American experience, the American, it's built into our 
kind of our DNA, which is the westward movement across the United States, uh, finding new territories, uh, Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer. These are these are things that we are sort of baked into our perception of America, that it is the land of opportunity. And if you're willing to go out and find that opportunity, you can make it happen. And you throw on top of that this oppressive depression, this, uh, of, you know, a lack of opportunity and a lack of um even being able to put food on a table. So all of these things were, and, and the one last thing, and that is in the film, a lot of the people were recalling that they just did it for the thrill of it. There, there, yes, there was the economic part of it. There was a lot of other factors involved, but it's amazing how many people in the film said, I just loved the idea of jumping on a, on a, on a train. Well, there were, you know, there were kids who were, some were forced to leave their parents. Clarence Lee, who's in the film, he's, his parents just didn't have the money or the, to, to buy enough food. He said, when you were 16 years old, you, you know, you were a young man. It's the, the phenomenon of being a teenager didn't really exist until after World War II. 16 years old, you were, you were, you were a big brawny kid. It was time to go get a job. Yeah. And during depression, that was, that was compounded. So yeah, so Clarence Lee was told, he didn't want to leave home, but he was told by his dad, he's an African-American guy in Louisiana who had a, um, a heck of a time on, on, on the rails. And he's, he was told to, to leave, go get a job. I mean, it wasn't an unloving moment. It was, it was, it, there was love, but it was, it was necessity. Whereas yes, there were other kids. There was, there was a, um, there were middle-class kids. There was one man named James Sanjul who he, his head was full of these, of these books by this adventure writer called Richard Halliburton, who'd written all these books about, about the, these daring and daring do and teenagers hopping freight trains and then there was a movie wild boys of the road which was which which was made to discourage kids from hopping freight trains but like one of the people in our film says that movie got the idea into his head that hey i'm gonna try that and so you know there were there were there were many reasons and and opportunity there were there were um yeah but there was there was that 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 definitely you know go west young man that existed Granted, people also came to big cities on the East Coast too, looking for work and were dissuaded. You know, you compare, we're in a period of economic hardship right now for millions of people. And there's one thing that I, you know, noticed in making the film that there was a sense of maybe we're all in this together. And mm -hmm. I'll give you an example is there, there were stories, we heard this more than once where if, if a kid went to someone's back door asking for a handout, there's a good chance they would get it. Nowadays, you probably get arrested. You know, there's, there's, you know, there, there's a, there's a particular story where I remember a kid went to a woman's back porch to ask for a meal, and um, he got a meal, and 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 the woman said, "The reason I'm giving this meal is because my son's on the road too." So it was a shared, it was a shared experience, and it really, it also speaks to the, you know, how resilient these kids were. I mean, not only did they go through this during the Great Depression, but they ended up fighting in World War II. Yeah. So that was the natural, you know, you talk about the Great Depression, that was a natural end to the Great Depression. Not natural, but it's, that's how it ended. But, um, and these kids, they were the, they were teenagers during the Great Depression. They were the perfect age. They're turning 18, 19, 20 at the beginning of World War II. Um, and they went. And it's amazing, but many of them spoke to us about how their experience on the road during the 1930s was 
more formative than their time in World War II, which surprised me. And it's just the, these memories of hardship are indelibly etched in their minds, and they speak to us as if it was yesterday. I mean, particularly, we would we would we would try to take our subjects out to a freight train. Um, you know, we're talking about sixty years after the after they hopped freight trains as kids, and the sound and the smell of that train that would trigger something in them, almost like a sense memory for an actor. And sometimes they would break down emotionally. They would it would just connect as if as if they were there you know as if it had just happened uh it's just you know it, it, it was it was a really powerful memory for many of them yeah i want to remind our listeners we're talking with the co-director and co-producer of documentary film called riding the rails because i mentioned earlier it came out in the 19 1997 i believe was the release of it all to all kinds of acclaim um and awards did it win a Peabody? Do I have that right? Yes, the film the film did really well in the, in the awards. We won we won a Peabody. We won the Los Angeles Film Critics um, Best Documentary, and um, we won the DGA Award for Best Directing Documentary. So, very happy about that. Making the film was was it was a real adventure, a real journey for us too. As I said, we hopped freight trains to make that to make the film too. That was out in California. And, you know, that's funny. That's one of those things that I, over time I've sort of come to um, sort of a parlor game, if you will, for me to hear how often the experience of documentary filmmakers, their own experience reflects oftentimes the subject that they're that they're involved in, in terms of their own their own experience regarding whatever subject that they have been doing or working on. It's it's interesting. And also, also often in how times, how many times, the production of the documentary film, the struggle to make the film, can often be kind of a, a window into the subject that they're, they're they've actually taken on. So, it's an interesting sort of symbiotic relationship between filmmaker and film subject. So, there, there's no doubt. I mean, making a documentary becomes your life. You know, you 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 live, sleep, breathe the film. And one of the things I notice is that making a film is there there is a sign that if you are never bored with the film if you're never you know that's a really good sign and that was the case with this 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 was a subject that that kept on producing incredible stories and in fact there were so many you know because of the volume of stories and and making a film is is when you you take a script for a movie it's about 90 pages double spaced it's not very much information um and the same with the documentary, if you if you were to write the dialogue out. So what we were able to do is to come full circle, we ended up doing a companion book to the film. Yeah. And in, in that book, we were able to include photographs and and many of the excerpts from from letters that we were not able to include in the film. So that was that was really rewarding. And we'd um, you know, we also we worked with some amazing people behind the scenes in the film, including in the late great Studs Terkel, who That's was one good. of the one of, he was one of the advisors to our films, and, and of course, Studs being the you know the preeminent oral historian, um, and he uh, you know what Studs when when he watched basically rough cuts and advised us, um, he wrote about the film. He said um, he complimented us, which was nice. He said, I, "I think it's it's wonderful. I think it's really very moving and beautiful, and I think it's important. Riding the rails is a natural. I'm astonished that it has not been done through all these years. It's one of the vital." terribly unreported saga of the of the 30s with today's homeless kids it's a contemporary story of 
overwhelming importance. The analogy may awaken a public conscience that has been too long asleep. I thank you for making this movie, it's terrific. So he wrote that in the 90s. So it's amazing each time we have, we have you know, a time of economic hardship or recession, we're, we always refer back to the big one in American history, which is the Great right. Depression. And right. that's been done. That's been done today dur during the economic hardship of, of the of the pandemic for millions of people. And you know, you see you see bread lines, and you know, you can't hop a freight train these days. But you see you see bread lines, and and you see people struggling, and you see, um, you know, for me, it 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 all it always reminds me of those of the stories that that we heard and. Um, gathered during you know of, of of the great depression and and uh and also of the resilience of these kids it's just just amazing and the, and the and of americans in general how how we will we're going to survive this economic hard time of economic hardships and hopefully improve our society from it which which really did happen during the depression i mean a lot of these kids they also got off the road through the ccc camps the civilian conservation corps and that was an amazing thing i mean that was that was you were 16 years old. You could you went to a CCC camp. You helped build a state, a road, or a state park, or you you, know, you you traveled across the country. You see lots of things that were built with part of the CCC, essentially a younger version of, of the WPA. And um, you could send money home, and you you so your family benefited, and you and you ended up no longer being on 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 the road, which was ultimately a miserable experience, as you'll see in the film. Yeah, it was uh, so. You know th those things are are um, are we. You know what we try to do in this in this film is, it's I refer to it as, as history from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. We're not trying. We know we don't go from the presidents and the generals. We go from who has who is who is the least voice in society. It's probably kids, you know. And there's we try to we try to tell history from from their their point of view and and um, it's a. I equate it to like a prism where you, you get to see, you get to see the bigger picture through, through a, just a very focused lens. And um, that's, that's where that's, you know, just the value a lot. And a lot of these, th these subjects, as they were, when we approached them, they were surprised. They, they didn't think that they were part of history. They thought that world war II experience was part of history, but their, their time being a bum as some of them called them themselves on the road they they were surprised and a lot of them hadn't spoken about it um it was painful for some but for others it's like they were a witness to history just as we are witness to history right now during this pandemic but yeah. we're, we're yeah they were they were a witness to history and they didn't they didn't really they they really it's, it was surprising um i hadn't many of them hadn't spoken about it for 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 decades and it did, it, but it did, as I say, it did come rushing out and in a most remarkable way. You know, it, it looking back on that period of time, the 20s, 30s, and into the 40s, these are transformative decades for the American experience. And I just what you said, uh, that that history is not often told from the point of view of the working people, the working class, the people who are not doing well economically. But I did notice, in addition to Studs Terkelin, I'm so glad you brought him into our conversation, but also Howard Zinn. It's, this has kind of a Howard Zinn feel to it in terms of the storytelling, why we're telling this story, because it's important. And also, when I say transformative, this the country, even the I go back to something as simple as our public school system. 
the public school system wasn't really that rooted in America in the 1910s and 20s and even into the 30s. This was something relatively new uh, for a lot of rural communities. Children were still working in factories in the 1920s. So there are a lot of things that were going on that we now look back on and say that was almost, almost barbaric, the way we treated our children back then. Uh, to put them in those situations. And also, I couldn't help but think how many of these kids ran away from home, whether it was be because of physical abuse or because they were gay or lesbian I, or whatever, that at a time when that would have just been absolutely unacceptable to anyone. And so a lot, there's a lot here. There's a lot sort of a sociological strata of, of, the Amer of American society that was completely was in the beginning of really changing in the way that it 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 uh, it was a part of the fabric of this country, and uh, this is that's one of the reasons why I think this film still resonates. There are elements in it that still feel very relevant, as you as you just said. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, just mentioning Howard Zinn, the thing, the great Howard Zinn. He he. It's funny, the one thing that I really remember him saying is, don't put any scholars in your film. Because of course we were like, well, of course we, you know, we were tempted, we had Howard Zinn, we had Studs Terkel, it's like, why not put them in the film? And, you know, I'm really glad we took, we, we took Howard's adv advice and said, and, and did not include, because it, it, it really, this film wanted to be the story, like I say, from the bottom up, it wanted to be a narrative told by the people who experienced the story. And I think that, anyway, I just, I just, I, I fondly remember that piece of advice. The, um, but yes, I mean, the, the, you, like you say, the, 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 there were schools that sh closed their doors because there was no money. Yeah. They couldn't pay the teachers. So it was, it was getting a high school diploma was a major achievement. You were, as I, as I was saying, the, you know, you were, you, when you were 16 years old, you were, you went to work, the teenage ph phenomenon, we, we, you know, that, that's a newer phenomenon. Yeah. And it's, I, I don't know if it's that we treated, treated children poorly. It was just that we were a different society. Yeah. And, you know, I think you, you are capable of getting, of, of working when you're 16. There's no doubt millions of kids do. Um, there's, there's, um, so, so there, but you, you're right when you, we, this film has been played to teenagers in many high schools, for instance, and sometimes when you think about the the difference of a, the in the life of a teenager today who's 16 years old and a teenager who's 16 year old years old roaming the country by freight train during the 1930s looking for food, that's a really you know it, they it's almost like they're they're just completely different people, um, and um, I think that's one of the, the things kids remark on when when they realize that these kids are the same age that they, that they are, that yeah. these kids are. And so that was, yeah, I mean, it's, society has changed a lot. And, and, um, but the, the resilience, the toughness of these kids was, was, was just, you know, some, something unbelievable. I mean, there were stories of people who fell off freight trains. They, they encountered railroad bulls, which some of them had a pretty vicious reputation. They were, um, you know, they were, they were, they would beat trespassers. They would, they would, kids were knocked off trains. There were, there were, sometimes there was collusion between the railroad bulls and local farmers. You could 
end up getting arrested on a freight train and then put into essentially free labor for a farm. I'm sure there was some money changing hands there. Yeah, yeah. It didn't go to the kids who were picking peas, that's for sure. Um, and that's how you paid your trespassing fee off. So there, and then even without being arrested or, or, or beaten, you know, the, the difficulty of some of the, the, we call them hobo jungles where, where people would end up in sleeping the night and for survival, some of them were, were okay. You would, you would, could share resources, make a mulligan stew as, as they, as they said, where you just threw everything you had in a pot. Um, but there was, there was, there was prostitution in there. There were, there were certainly, um, there were older hobos who would, who would take advantage of, of, of the younger hobos. There were the younger kids. There were, um, you know, there, there was a, a rough, a rough time that even, even some of, you know, they called them Hoovervilles after, after, after President Hoover, but, um, there were sometimes even a hobo jungle could be, um, bulldozed because a lot of, a lot of, a lot of cities and towns did not want these kids in or adults in their towns. They were, they were just get not in my backyard, get them out of here. Let's bulldoze them. You could be arrested in a town and then dropped off in the middle of nowhere. That happened to, you know, they're just 25 miles outside in some bleak road in Texas with nobody around um, right. Right. and go fend for yourself. So right. it was- Well, that's not a new phenomenon. I mean, that's certainly still to this day. I mean, I, I live in a, in a county where that's been happening. That still happens. People get dropped off outside of town and told don't come back. You know, we have been through three or four significant economic depressions, I'll call them depressions or recessions, since the mid-1990s. Three significant ones, the collapse of the savings alone. Uh, there was another bubble back in the, in the late, early aughts in 2008 and now now, and now the current pandemic. This country has, has kind of this, about every 10 to 15 years, a significant economic downturn. So, so much so that that uh, the homeless rate goes up, you know, just all kinds of bad indexes start to kick in in terms of um, our, you know, life, our, uh, our ex life expectancy and those kinds of things. So this film, Riding the Rails, there are things in it that, are st that still sound very much of our world, of our, of our place. It is a kind of a fact. <laughs> of America, of America, that we, you know, every country goes through some version of this and depends on their economic um, stability is, is has a lot to do with it. But I just want to underscore just how I in my opinion, how relevant this film is. And um, my congratulations to you. I, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's, you know, there's, and like you say, there, there, there's certainly, there's a lot of archival material. There's, there's, from each of each of the recessions and depressions we've had, I mean, they've been well reported, and this one is no exception. Yeah. The, I find, as a filmmaker, to find the visuals that that go to corroborate the stories. You know, we worked a lot with the Library of Congress and the National Archives, and sometimes you'd find a piece of footage or a photograph that exactly corroborated with someone's story it's amazing it's it's you know it's like finding a, a piece of gold in a river when you're panning you know it, it is just you know they're the combination of 
a powerful first-hand account and the exact, this, the corroborating evidence, the corroborating visuals there, it's just, you know, a very, as a filmmaker, it's not only, it's, it's satisfying, but yeah. it's something that, you know, you can, you can, you're building, you're building an argument, you're building, an, you're, you're building the, the evidence and, and you're able to tell someone's story and help them tell their story. They're, they're, they're the beautiful storytellers. We're, and we're just, we're just helping them. And it's, you know, when you let someone tell their story, we made sure we, we didn't just blast in there with cameras. We'd have a meal, we'd get to know them. I got to see a lot of living rooms in America, all over the country. And um, then we'd, we'd let their, their story come out over, over a day or two. And um, they were just, you know, it was, it was, I just feel really privileged to have, to have met these people and hopefully learn a little bit from them. I'm no expert in economics, but certainly, in 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 terms of how it affects individuals yeah, yeah. i we, we we got a we got a really really strong glimpse in, in, into that it's it's um some phenomenons that, that people there was a one writer who who called it um the invisible scar because mm-hmm. you know we we hear about people with the we we call the depression era mentality you know saving a saving a short piece of string or something and um that's that's really something that is no matter how wealthy they might have become in later life, um, they still have this, this powerful psychological effect of, of, of what, what they went through. And the, I will mention that some, some of, many of the people in our film, it, you'll notice in what they did afterwards with their lives, many of them decided they wanted to give back. You know, <laughs> they, they're, they, got, they got involved in their community, they got involved in, in bigger organizations, I mean, there were there were one John Fawcett, a character who who he 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 um he flew us uh, he flew dozens of missions in World War Two. He was he was an incredible pilot after being a kid and, and you know hopping freight trains, and um, he ended up becoming a major union organizer in in uh, in Seattle, and he was. He was, that was how he, he wanted to give back. He wanted to make sure the working man had a good, had a good deal. Yeah. And, uh, he, he, so that's, that's just one story. It was, it was, and he directly draws a line from his experience on, on, on the road in the thirties to yeah. is how he fulfilled his life. There are so many stories in here and <clears throat> the subjects you, that you're alluding to the subjects in the, in the film who have remarkable stories to tell. There is a certain Bound for Glory, Woody Guthrie vibe to this as well. There's some couple of, I think there's even a couple of Woody Guthrie songs in here. And it definitely, it definitely captures the time and the place. And uh, and, and again, talking about that, those nuggets of gold, the the poster itself is, I think is pretty indicative of, of that, of the discovery of those kinds of uh, um, elements, assets that you bring to the film. Again, the film is called Riding the Rails, and the director, co-director, is Michael Ace. Uh, and I mentioned Le- Lexi Lavelle as well as co-producer and co-director. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I'm so glad that it's we're going to, you know, the American Experience, PBS, as well as it's now in release. You mentioned Amazon Prime as a place to can check it out. There are other platforms as well, and I urge you to do that. Also, you can go to Riding the Rails dash the movie.com 
and that will help you navigate uh, your way into a way to see the film. Is that, that a good way to do that? A absolutely, Mike. I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. I love that music too. I mean, one of the things we, we asked people was what were they listening to at the time? And of course we got Jimmy Rogers. We got yes. Woody. Yeah, yeah. And then that was a natural progression to some of the people who wrote about freight trains like, like Doc Watson or, 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 you know, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, you know, so we have, we have a, a, a pretty awesome soundtrack based on, based on freight trains. And, and you uh, do, you do. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I actually saw uh, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. Wow. Well, good. I, they were at a little club in Pasadena and I mean, no more than a hundred seats. And it was almost a coffee house. And this is in the seventies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't know who they were. I just thought they were good. Like I, these guys are really good. And then I didn't find out probably for years later why, who it was that I actually saw. So that was kind of cool. You know, I, I'll, I'll go out with one, just one last story about the, about the image on the poster. Yeah. That, that is, it's an image of a, of a kid leaning against a boxcar door. So that image we found at the National Archives and mm. we thought this is the perfect image. This says riding the rails. We put it on the poster. We went to Sundance and um, we opened it about a hundred cities um, theatrically. Eventually that poster was put in, an, in, in, uh, in a, a movie theater out, out in, uh, I think it was out in Washington state, but somebody recognized the person in that, in that photograph. That was, that was a, and they said, wow, that's, that's my dad. Oh my God. That turns out, cause that was an unidentified photograph from the national archives. Oh my God. It turned out to be a kid named Leonard McMillan who later died in a logging accident, but he's, he's, uh, his family recognized him from the poster. And so now that kid is identified as Leonard McMillan. It's wow. Just, that's yeah. I'm sure there are, you know what? I bet there are dozens of stories just in some version of that, like people seeing somebody in the film, well, you know, because there's a lot of that footage, that archival footage in there of just kids coming up to the camera and, and just hanging out. And, and I, yeah, wow. That's a great story. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. We, we do get a lot of people who come up to us at screening and say that they're usually they say their, their, their dad or their, or their, or their grandparent rode the rails. So this story touched so many people. I mean, and it is, it is a part of, a part of our ancestry. It's so, so many people were, were like I say, 250,000 kids, a conservative estimate yeah. and as a 2 million adults you know, and children combined is, is a conservative estimate. I mean, the government did actually take, take right. down statistics and there were children's, there were bureaus that tried to send kids home and report on them on the road. So yeah, was, at a time when the country was probably, there were probably only about 140 million people as opposed to 310 million people at the, at this time. Yeah. So, it was, so it was, it's a much, it's a much higher percentage of the country was on the rail on the road and on the rails and well, Michael Ace, thank you again. Thank you so much for this film. Thank you for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. And you continue to pursue a, your um, your craft in filmmaking and uh, hope you're working on something that maybe we can talk about later on. Hope. Oh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Please come back. And I look forward to our conversation in the future. And thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Mike.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.